Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Means at 9 on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that little sentence. Looking forward to a fantastic hour with Dr. Melissa Mork. She's in studio. I'm looking forward to that. Also had a very lively conversation with Dr. Mark Strauss, who wrote a book called Jesus Behaving Badly, The Puzzling Paradoxes of the Man from Galilee. And uh, that was a very interesting book. I got one copy in my hand. I'm going to be giving it away. I'll give it away to the first person who texts me what song this is. Rebecca? Ooh, I wonder if that's enough. <laughs> Should I do it again? Yeah, give him a little bit more, a little okay. bit more song. Here we go. All right, here we go. There we go. Now, the first person that can text that wins the book, Jesus Behaving Badly. People in studio can't qualify, right? Yeah. Uh, and the number is 877-933-2484, 877 2484. I know the song, so I might take the book myself, but I should at least open it up to everyone who is listening and who wants a copy of that book. Anyway, I'm looking at, uh, yeah, boy, it's our, we already have a winner, I think. <laughs> yeah, Jeff won. Keith Green, that was it. We still need to know the name of the song, though. Oh, here they come. You put this love in my heart. That's the song. Congratulations. We'll get it out to you soon (laughs) after I read it. All right. In Psalm 103, it says in verse 15, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. No matter how long you live, life is short. And if you've lost a loved one, you have gone through that grieving process, and maybe you're in the middle of it right now. We're going to talk about navigating grief with humor. Dr. Melissa Mork is my guest. We're going to take 60 seconds and be right back. Every day, pastors across our communities are preparing messages, leading their churches, and ministering effectively in Jesus' name. I'm Neil Staven. This month is Clergy Appreciation Month, and here at Faith Radio, we're taking the opportunity to say thanks to the thousands of pastors within our signal reach who keep the light of Christ shining in their congregations and communities. Thanks to these devoted servants, the gospel is being taught, and families are being impacted for good, and lives are being changed. So thank you, Pastor, from all of us at Faith Radio. We all love getting something for free. Here's something that's free that you can really use. It's the free Faith Radio app. You can use the app to listen to the live stream, access program podcasts, and stay informed with all the latest contests and events today. All you have to do is download the free Faith Radio app in iTunes or Google Play. Just search for Faith Radio, download the app, and enjoy Faith Radio wherever you go. Download the free Faith Radio app and start listening today. When there are clouds 
sky, you'll get by If you smile through your fears and sorrow Smile and maybe tomorrow You'll see the sun come shining For you Light up your face with gladness Hate to interrupt that song, don't you, Melissa? It's hard to interrupt, yeah. That is a hard one to interrupt. Put a smile on your face, as you certainly did with us when I opened up the phone lines um, and the text line. And boy, I got a lot of very good guesses on the Keith Green song. We did have a winner, but uh, some of the other guesses that came in, Facts of Life theme song, uh, Billy Joel, uh, and my personal favorite, which was uh, Rhonda guessing the Golden Girls theme song. Now, Rhonda, you didn't win, uh, but I'm going to send you a consolation prize uh, just for that guess, just so you know. And uh, <laughs> Melissa Mork is my guest. She's in studio, and sh- her book is in my hand, and I'm going to send it to you as a consolation prize. So, Rhonda, congratulations. What you're going to have to do is uh, text me back your address so I know where to send it. And the same for the winner, Jeff uh, Ames. You uh, won the Keith because uh, of your Keith Green. You put the love in my heart. That's the winner, so send me your address as well. Text it to me right now so uh, Rebecca can, can get it, and we can get the books in the mail r- real soon. All right. Now, um, nice to have Melissa back in studio. She is the chair of the Department of Psychology here at the University of Northwestern. So you've written a book called Navigating Grief with Humor, and you also did this as a course, didn't you? I did. Tell me how that went. It went very... Anybody show up? Well, a couple people showed up, yeah. How many? We had uh, 1,800 participants the first round. (laughs) It's a big number. It's a big number. And it was was powerful because all of these individuals enrolled and participated because they either encountered grief, were experiencing grief, or wanted to help somebody who was going through the grief process. And so... Uh, we just had some dynamic, profound conversations for the entire six weeks that it ran. Yeah, now, you've been on the show before, but I'd love for you to just sort of refresh the listeners with your story, because it's, it's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, all of my grandparents passed away before I was age 18. My best friend in high school caused her own death by carbon monoxide poisoning. My mother was killed in a car crash when I was a junior in college, and my dad didn't live much longer after that. Uh, he died of a broken heart. Um, my husband and I, we had a number, a series of reproductive losses, including stillbirth. And then um, it was just um, <clears throat> in uh, 2013, my, one of my bridesmaids caused her own death by gunshot. And when I revisited my wedding photos of um, on my anniversary this year, I saw that out of the 16 people who were in our wedding party, only six of us are still alive uh, and my husband died of uh, a very aggressive adenocarcinoma in um, September 1st of July of 2017. So um, there's just been a, a cascade of losses beginning in childhood and culminating with the most difficult, which is not only the death of my husband, but observing my children as they grieve the death of their father. Mm-hmm. Grief is very complicated. Yes. And it's so personal and individualized, isn't it? Yes. Everybody has their own grief map, don't they? Yes. And you anticipate that the anniversaries will be hard, but you end up being ambushed, blindsided by it at other times as well. So uh, there's no clean trajectory. There's no discrete uh, set of months that you'll grieve, but it is all dependent on who died, how they died, what the relationship was like with the person who's died. And so there's just, it's multifaceted and... um, 
often difficult and also sacred. It's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful process of mm-hmm. loss. Mm-hmm. How important is is it for us to put life and death in context as mm-hmm. we are grieving? I always go to I think it's Psalm one thirty nine that talks about all of our days are ordained before we even get one of them. Yes. So God knows. Yes. So nobody dies too young, do they? They died exactly when God wanted them to, right? Hard to accept, but yes. But yeah, it's very hard to accept. But I'm just saying if we put it in context, it does create a framework that we can say God is sovereign. Yes. Uh, I, I may seem cold when I tell this story, but when my daughter was going to Europe alone on her own dime, she asked me that the question of what, what if I die in Italy? And I quoted her that scripture and said, so you have a choice of dying a fantastic death in Italy or slipping and hitting your head in the bathtub and dying right. a mundane death in right. Minnesota. So right. <laughs> how, choose, you choose Yeah, if your days are numbered. Yeah, it's, I hear that often though at, at uh, funerals and you, you always hear that if someone died younger, um, I'm now too old to die young, which is kind of nice. Yes, you are. Kind of a relief. Yeah. Um, but if you hear that so-and-so died so, so young, I go, in my spirit, I go, um, yeah, they did die too young. There's yes. no question. No question. However, they died exactly the time um, that they had. It's hard to accept. Yes. It's very hard to accept. Yep. And would you say um, people have, on average, a much harder time? Have You, you just did your course. So mm-hmm. what did you learn? People um, are suffering a big time or they're... They're better at it than we thought. Resilience is amazing. Uh, And I'm I'm astounded by their resilience. Some of the stories that were shared knocked me backwards. I would would find myself holding my breath as I read these stories. And yet they were getting up every morning and brushing their teeth and making the coffee and participating in this course and reaching out and and, uh, comforting others in the course. And the resilience amazed me. Wow. but I also learned that um, grief is really, really hard and at times can be paralyzing. Um, and and yet that resilience comes in time, with support, with good humor even. Um, it, resilience comes and, of course, with good faith. Mm-hmm. Just seeking solace and, and voicing one's lamentations. Yeah, I love that word, lamentations. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that very often. So... Do you have a, a story that you can share about some of this resiliency? Because this is inspiring. A story of resiliency? I mean, you just had all these people telling you stories. Is there one that you can share that you're at liberty to share? Maybe you're not. Um, I, I would be reluctant to share the stories of the participants. but uh, one I mean, of, not, not, of course, naming names. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but even their stories that when the most profound resilience was okay. in some of those really serious stories. But there was one story that uh, is fairly well known and she participated in our course and she was one of our examples of resilience in the course and that's um, Connie Backstrom. She and her husband had uh, have five sons. Three of them are in heaven. Uh, the older three were killed in a car crash mm. by a, a drunken, distracted driver and her resilience and Nathan's resilience is... Uh, uh, astounding, and um, so she and she was a topic of our sixth week uh, when we look at resilience and purpose in our grief and finding purpose uh, in the process. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to make this hour about your book and about the listeners because I know there's going to be people that are going to um, send me messages, right? Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it if you have a question about navigating your grief. 
And if you're doing it with humor, or maybe you are finding your, your way to laugh again, that's important. And it's part of, I think, what God wants to help you uh, deal with your grief. I know it's always been a big deal in my family. We've always laughed a lot. And it's important to laugh. And it's, um, it's important to have laughter that you feel good about, too. Not, not cheap laughs, but good laughs that come from your bones, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. those, those pay dividends. You, you, you find yourself being on a plane laughing for no reason by yourself. And people look at you like you're weird. And in my case, I would be, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Yeah, but you're, you're laughing about something that was at one point a period of great grieving. Mm-hmm. So anyway, now I'm rambling. Let me take a break. Dr. Melissa Mork is in studio. Let us know what the question is or if you have a, a story of uh, your own personal grief and you're using humor. We'd love to hear what it is. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Back to the show. I'm Dr. Melissa Morkin Studio. She is the chair of the Department of Psychology here at the University of Northwestern. She's written a book called Navigating Grief with Humor. And she also did this as an online course. And she, another one is running right now. We just opened it um, yesterday. And you've got another big batch of people showing up. Yep. Uh, over 800. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What happens when you don't uh, grieve well and you maybe do things like self-medicate and all that stuff? Yeah. Exactly that. It comes, really squirting sad, it? Out, it comes squirting out sideways. And I understand we have such a fear of pain, physical pain and emotional pain. And if we have that fear, we try to escape it, medicate it, run away from it. And here's the deal is we know this with physical pain. If you, you know, you, you overwork your muscles, uh, you're out raking leaves, Mm-mm, you're experiencing that. that pain and then you, you don't rake leaves. No. no. Um, Can you think of another example? <laughs> Work with me here. Okay, so, <laughs> um, but you're massaging that, those muscles. Okay. You're pressing into that pain, and what you're doing is you're creating a relief. Right. And what happens with grief is the same, is that the pain, we can ignore it and medicate it, but we're not actually addressing it. If you press into the pain, you massage it, you sit with it, mm-hmm. you explore what, what that loss really means to you, you're creating a, a different kind of pain, but it is a release. Mm-hmm. Talk about people that come alongside trying mm-hmm. to help you navigate your pain. Yes. And they see all these things that make you want to scream. Well, okay. Just, um, I've heard one of our Bible professors give the best advice about that. Just if somebody is grieving, show up and shut up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, it's a beautiful model. Um, in the course, one of the questions we repeatedly ask throughout the six weeks is, we know that advice is unhelpful when somebody is grieving what are the questions you can ask Mm. instead? And I think that there are some great questions you can ask, starting with how are you doing today? Or uh, helping the person remember uh, the one that they've lost by talking about them by name. Um, Tell me about your mom. Can you, what's your favorite picture that you have of your mom? Do you have a favorite photograph? Can you describe it to me? Or um, 
uh, how did your how did your son bring joy to your life? How did he make you smile on a daily basis? And so you can ask questions that facilitate pressing into that pain, facilitate remembering well. And um, to me, that's the that's the finest way of yeah. walking alongside what somebody. If they, what if they start tearing up, kind of like the way I'm doing right now? Well, what you're doing is you're facilitating those tears. You're not causing those tears, and mm-hmm. we have to have those. We have to shed those tears. It's just part of the process. And so you're not causing, you're not inflicting pain. You're not causing the tears. You're facilitating the healing process. Well, but if you're asking questions and you're bringing out that, is there a time and place you should be suggesting we do that? Or, Mm -hmm. hey, how are you doing? Nice weather out today. Tell me about your favorite picture of your mom and all of a sudden the person's crying. Yes, but you can start with, it's lovely weather out there. Have you seen the leaves? How are you doing today? And that mm-hmm. gives you an in-road or they shut you down and you follow their lead. So it's kind of the, the test of, are they, do they want to talk? But can I just encourage all of the listeners, don't step away from that difficult kind of conversation. Press in, be willing to be present, and say the name of the deceased. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. And listeners, Leanne jumped in and already said, uh, people forget that uh, death isn't the only reason for grief. I still have moments of grief over my divorce, which happened 25 years ago. Yes, yes. We all are experiencing such significant losses, loss of relationship, loss of loved ones, loss of identity, loss of dreams. There are just so many different kinds of losses that we grieve. It isn't all bereavement, but my area of specialization is bereavement. So that's why I tend to land on that as the topic. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about resilience. I got to get back to that because that mm-hmm. seems like it's a big one. And mm-hmm. I think we all would, um, we could all learn something about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. There are six factors of resilience and some of them I just, I just love, but I'm going to land on one that is particularly important and that is connection. We are resilient when we have connection with other human beings. Uh, I include a story in the book and I talk about this in presentations as well. Back in, um, the 30s and 40s, we had foundling hospitals in Europe, in England, and all of these little infants were um, being put up for adoption, but they were in this orphanage, and in order to protect them, doctors insisted that all of the nurses wear masks and gloves and not have any physical contact with the babies for fear of transmitting some sort of virus or bacteria, and also not to make um, eye contact with the babies because they were afraid that the nurses would imprint on the babies and would have form attachments, and they wanted them to have free be free of attachments mm. for adoption. They expected the I, they wanted these babies to be adopted, but what they found out instead was that there was a one hundred percent death rate of these infants because they had a failure to thrive due to lack of human contact. Wow! So we have such a deep contact need, a deep need for connection, and when we know somebody is grieving, if we are available to them, if we are allowing them to make connection, if we're making connection in through grief share, through other grief support groups, through talking with other family members who are also grieving, that connection is core to our resilience. Melissa, obviously people grieve differently. So if you have a, a loved one that doesn't share your level of grief mm-hmm. and kind of looks at you like, ah, you need to get over that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with that? Let them be okay. and go seek somebody who will hear you, 
who will listen and who will process with you. And again, it could be a uh, it could be a group of strangers through a grief group, mm-hmm. but it is important to locate somebody who can listen to your story because yeah. it is through our story that we are allowed to fully grieve. So how much self-regulating should we do? How much self-soothing should we do where we get alone with our Bible and, and just pour out our heart to the Lord versus getting together with friends and say, let's have pizza and talk? Pouring it out to the Lord is another form of connection, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And um, I cannot diminish the value of that. I think that that's where it begins and it ends. It begins early in the morning in connecting with the Lord and it ends in the, in the evening as we cry ourselves to sleep and our our prayer of helplessness, our, that helplessness is our, is our plea, it's our own personal intercession. So that connection is critically mm-hmm. important. Because obviously we're going to feel hurt, right? And yes. hurt will create pain. And pain, if we don't deal with it, is just going to end up being depression, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can I talk a little bit about the difference between grief and depression? Though? Yes. I think that depression and grief look an awful lot alike. They have a lot of the physical symptoms. You feel fatigued and overwhelmed and exhausted, sad, numb, blue. Mm. But, and they're similar in that they both involve kind of a devastating loss of a loved one. But with depression, the lost person is the self and in grief the lost person is somebody else um the other difference between depression and grief is that depression can be medicated and grief cannot grief when they they're um comorbid when we have both grief and depression the depression can be medicated but grief grief needs to be processed and worked through and there are tasks that can be uh, completed, and I write about it in the book and include it in the in the course. But there are certain tasks that just need to be completed for us to resolve it. Mm-hmm. When your husband got sick, what was the timeline from illness to death? Four and a half months. Whoa! Yeah, you didn't have a lot of time. No, no, we didn't. Hmm. How did you two maintain a sense of? Um, inevitability and love and good natured and humor and all that. We laughed. (laughs) We laughed a lot, but there was so much ambiguity and so many unknowns. The doctors held out so much hope. The first month they said, after diagnosis, they said, oh, he's got years. And uh, then they said, he's got months. And then they said he had weeks and then there were, we just had days and then he was gone. And, um, But here's the deal with my husband is that as soon as he realized he was going to die, his priorities changed completely. He had been very driven on the job. He was a hard worker. And when he realized that he was going to die, the only thing that mattered to him was every other person's salvation. The guy who came into the hospital room to change the sharps container would have to Uh, talk about his own personal relationship with Jesus before my husband would let him leave the room. I mean, he called everybody out on their faith and wanted to know where they stood in their relationship with Jesus Christ. His, His mission and his purpose was clear. And I found it so joyful and so beautiful and we would laugh about it Mm -hmm. that uh he didn't care if he made people uncomfortable he just wanted to know where are you in your walk with god i love it dr melissa mork is my guest in studio her book is navigating grief with humor and if you have a comment or a a contribution you'd like to make to this discussion we'd love to hear from you 877-933-2484 we'll be right back 
Dr. Melissa Mork is in studio. She's written a book called Navigating Grief with Humor. She has lived a life of loss and grief, and she's the chair of the psychology department here at the University of Northwestern. And she's also got a course going on right now. Is it too late to get in that one? It is. It is. It closed, huh? Yes, but we will offer it again, I'm okay. sure. Yeah, good. So when I was growing up, there were shows I would watch. Leave it to Beaver was one of them. And then I think it was 15 or 20 years later, they did Return to Leave it to Beaver, which I watched because I thought it was interesting. And when they shot that episode, oh, uh, Hugh um, Beaumont had died. So they couldn't have him be part of the reunion. But there was a scene in the cemetery where June Cleaver was sitting on a bench and there was the headstone that said Cleaver. And she was talking to him saying, you know, Ward, I'm really concerned about the beaver. And it struck me that how is it you can still have a relationship with him? That was my thought back then. But the fact is you can still have connection, can't you? Yes. And in fact, it is an imperative for a good grief process is to retain a relationship. How do you do with that? The deceased? Well, it depends on the it depends on that relationship. So, you know, if it's if it's your parent that you're grieving, you you still talk to them, you write letters or you cook their favorite meal or um it all, it all depends on who it is that you've lost, but it is imperative that you retain some sort of enduring connection with the deceased. Closure is not the goal. Walking away is not the goal. Gently closing the lid on the casket is not the goal. The goal is to find a different way of loving them uh, and keeping them in your heart. So would you uh, be vulnerable enough to tell us how you do it with your husband? Mm. I'm an open book. I mean, yeah, well, I got the book open yeah, right now, so I could read right from it, but I'd rather <laughs> have you do it because you are my live guest. Yes. Well, I, you know, he is still, he is still my husband and he is still co-parenting my kids. You know, um, when I'm making a decision about, you know, they're asking, can we do this? Can I, you know, do that? I think, well, what would Scott say here? How would he what would his rules be? What are his priorities and you know, how to, how to um, direct them? Mm-hmm. And then I still, I, I think about how he would react to different things in the news and how are the Packers playing? He owned stock in the Green Bay Packers mm-hmm. um, and tried, I just, I talked to him. Do you, have you said to your kids, you know what your dad said or you remember what your dad would say? Do you yes. still do that? Well, we have conversations around the dinner table and they bring it up more than I do actually. Yeah. And I, I let them kind of take the lead on how they are grieving and how they want to talk about him. And I got to say, we do a lot of laughing about Scott, a lot of laughing. He was a funny guy. He was uh, a great presence, larger than life. And so we, we remember him with very good humor and, uh, and it helps. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about unresolved grief mm. when you just feel like you're stuck. Mm-hmm. There are things that can be done. Um, beginning at the beginning of starting to explore what is it that you really lost. And sometimes it's complicated. It's ambiguous. You're not quite sure. 
or there was a lot of conflict in the relationship, or there was uh, violence in the way that the person died. These are all factors that could play into unresolved grief. But to begin with, this is who I lost, and this is the effect that it's having on me is the place to begin. Mm -hmm. Melissa, is there something that would be anticipatory grief where Mm. someone's dying over the course of years and yes. you're you're anticipating grieving but yes. you're, you're already kind of doing it because maybe this person has alzheimer's and they're starting to drift away yes they don't know you anymore so yes. the grieving has already started because in a way you feel like you've lost the, your loved one absolutely and that doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult when they die it's a different kind of grief then it's maybe a more normalized grief then but that anticipatory anticipatory grief is absolutely um a thing, and we see it quite commonly with individuals who are wasting away with dementia or have had a long-term diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we have, a, um, God says that He will help transform our mind. When we are in a place of such deep sadness mm-hmm. and suffering, and suffering is inevitable. I mean, every page on Scripture is a suffering person basically writing to other suffering people, <laughs> you know? So it's the Bible's filled with that, right? Yeah. Um, so God will, will transform our minds and we don't want to lose our, our sense of our loved one and we want to keep them alive in our heads. How do we navigate that? Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tricky question. If, if I'm thinking about it harder, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm kind of painting you in a corner right now. <laughs> And it probably doesn't even have a good answer, um, but I think of the the ways in in which we have deep love for somebody, and we want to keep them fresh in our minds always and in our hearts, and yet we we need some help. We need some help not living in that stuckness. Yes, yes. Um, I agree, and I but I don't know that it's stuckness. I mean, it's stuckness. If Is that a we, word? Stuckness. Well, well, we're making it a word today, aren't today. we? Bill? Word of the day, stuckness. Uh-huh, stuckness. Yes. Um, we, and that is unresolved, really, is what you're talking about. It is. Yeah. yeah. We get stuck, and it's hard to move forward. I just think one of the, the most important pieces of our, the grief process to move us out of that is talking about the person mm-hmm. and feeling the pain of it, the loss, just really experiencing that pain, and then just adapting to a life without them in it while continuing that relationship with them, understanding that they're never coming back and that this is extremely hard and yet you have to continue to live. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to do. I know for some of us it's really hard to do. That's how we get unstuck is with time, conversations with other people, pressing into the Lord, pressing into our pain and talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. What about when you come up against different generations and some generations that we don't talk about our feelings Oh, at we're all. so stoic, yes. And yeah. as Minnesotans, we're Norwegians, we're all just so stoic. And you want to ask, you know, mom and dad about grandma and grandpa, and they, they don't go there. They don't go there because it's too hard, and they never... Um, I had a lovely woman after one of my presentations come up to me and share with me that she... Um, had her her fiance had been killed in a car crash she when she was in her early 20s and her parents this is an old much older woman probably in her 80s now mm-hmm. but this this fiance had been killed and her parents said there's nothing to talk about and there's nothing to cry about you will find another husband and so she was wow. not allowed to talk about it and she said the anniversary of his death every year is the hardest day of the year for me of course 
because not only did she lose the this man, but she lost the hope of her future, the marriage, the reception, the ceremony, the honeymoon, the children, the house, the the marital fights, the mm-hmm. the kissing and making up. She lost all of that in mm-hmm. just that one crash, and she couldn't talk about any of it. And without talking about it, she couldn't fully explore all of the different secondary losses that came alongside the death of her fiance. That's really horrible. It's really horrible, but it's a generation. It was not a surprise to the generation that she came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder how many of the older generation are quietly suffering today and, and mourning and grieving way beyond what maybe they should be. Yeah. I'm, I just, I almost, I almost feel like a mean person just having said that. I mean, well, and I think it's not just the grieving the death of loved ones, but grieving lost childhoods and abuse and a lot of other things, which we talked about earlier, is that grief isn't just the death of a loved one. It's, there's all kinds of other losses that we grieve too. Um, and if we're not allowed to explore them, they continue to inflict pain. You know, we either it squirts out sideways or we re-inflict it on ourselves if we're not um, if we're not addressing it. I mm-hmm. think. I'm thinking of a great passage in First Corinthians. Uh, let's see where it says, "When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, mm. then the saying that is written will come true: Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting?" Um, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gave us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It reminds me of. Um the reaction of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, you know, the, that Jesus knowing the immortality, that there was eternal life available, and yet at the tomb, Jesus wept. And I think that when, we, when we're confronting our own grief, we have to continually remember that this was not part of the original design or plan, that Jesus' ministry was teaching and healing the sick and mm-hmm. making the lame walk and raising the dead because that was not part of the kingdom of heaven. I love that um, passage, that verse, particularly because it's easy to memorize. Yes, shortest one in the whole book, yeah. uh, Bible, yeah. Right, but it also shows that Jesus was willing to step into their pain and yes. just be with them in the moment and cry with them, which is beautiful because he is. knew exactly what he was going to do. It is. And I would have had a lot more swagger. I'd be going, hey, calm down. Things are going to be good here in just a minute. This is why right? you're not Jesus, Bill. This is why I'm not Jesus. <laughs> but he does. He does walk alongside us, and um, and he does weep. And so we have to remember this, that he is he is so present. And I can't help but believe that when the first cancer cell split in my husband's lung, Jesus wept. Mm. That's really sweet. That um, That, again, kind of chokes me up a little. Beautiful. Because he knows everything, doesn't he? <laughs> Nothing is hidden from him. So um, talk about how much we need to keep our mental agility through all this. Mental agility. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, those are words I like. And, and You were and, in the book, weren't you? you were I was in the, the book, book yeah. yeah. No, no, but I mean, humor is going to keep us sharp. Cause yes. We, so what mental agility is and the relationship it has to humor is that mental agility is the ability to think outside the box, mm-hmm. to be creative, to think about different um, looking at things through different lenses. Um, if you put your hand right in front of your, your eyes at the, at the end of your nose, when we have a problem or when we are overwhelmed with grief, all you can see is that 
you know, your, your hand, that problem, mm-hmm. that grief. But if you're able to think about it in a different perspective, a different way with mental agility, if you can find a way to laugh about it, you're extending that hand farther out and then suddenly you're seeing all kinds of perspective and context and peripheral vision. The same thing happens with humor is if you can laugh about the problem, the crisis, the pain, the we can laugh about Scott Suddenly the grief is pulled farther away from our um, our faces. We're able to see it with greater context and peripheral vision and um, clarity. Got a nice note from a listener named Cindy. Dr. Mork is so precious. Thank you, Cindy. Oh, honest, loving, practical, faithful, Jesus-loving. Thank you, Cindy. How nice is that? Are we related? She might be a, a cousin or something. Well, I would like to know because that's, <laughs> that's a really that's nice pretty, compliment. Pretty gushy, don't that's you think? Great. That's lovely. Yeah. Thank you, Let Cindy. me take a little break. Dr. Melissa Mork is in studio. We're chatting about uh, her book, Navigating Grief with Humor. It's also a course that she's offered now more than once. And if you've missed it either time, you're going to want to sign up for it um, the next time it comes around. We'll be back in uh, 90 seconds. Dr. Melissa Mork is in the studio. Her book is Navigating Grief with Humor. She is the uh, chair of the psychology department here at the University of Northwestern and has gone through a considerable amount of loss in her life and decided that she's going to navigate all this with humor. And God bless you for that. We need more of that. You know, we know how the story ends, right? We do. We all go to heaven. If we do. We know how it ends. No, if you're born again yep. and you're a believer, yep. you go to heaven. Yep. That's the way the story ends. Absolutely. Which allows us... To I mean, laugh and yeah. have joy and yeah. be resilient. Yeah, and when I said we all go to heaven, I was speaking to my usually my listeners oh. who are all born again. You know, most of them are. And if you're not, let's let's do some evangelism here, <laughs> Melissa. You know, let's you know talk about what's holding you back, Scott. Yeah, exactly yeah. what he would say. Yeah, he would he would call out every person he encountered and say, "Where are you mm-hmm. in your walk with Jesus?" And he would ask, "What's holding you back? Why are you reluctant? What's?" You see the joy that I have. You see the hope that I have. You see that I'm going to be okay. What's holding you back? Yep. And what kind of response did you get? You know, I tended not to stay in the room when he was having <laughs> those conversations because they were so intimate and private mm-hmm. and um, held such spiritual import that yeah. I would I would go and get some cleaning done, you know, okay. or I would do something else and let them have that conversation. Mm-hmm. When people are in grief and they're going through periods of grieving... Do they think that God is uh, punishing them for some reason? Mm, yes, sometimes they do. And there's some... <sighs> when we are trying to comfort somebody who's grieving, we end up maligning God quite a bit. You know, we'll say something like, well, God just needed another angel in heaven, oh. or this was the will of God. or And frankly, I think that does malign the character of God because that's not who he is at all. And if you read scripture, you know that. And... It's not who Jesus was on earth when he was here. Um, so, yeah, we might think that God is punishing us for something we've done, but any good parent will, when disciplining a child, will be very clear about that, what that discipline is for, what the behavior was that was, you know, in breach. And then the punishment is swift and certain and clear 
and usually clearly related to what the the misbehavior was. Mm-hmm. So taking somebody's child away, um, causing the death of a, a spouse, that's not God. That's not what God does. Mm-hmm. He certainly doesn't do it to punish us. Mm-hmm. And Melissa, humor is so personal and it's, it's so, um, you know, if you've not grown up with humor as a part of who you are, mm-hmm. it's sometimes hard to find a, a sweet spot with somebody if, if they're in such a depth of depression. Yeah. Um, but if you understand how humor works, um, you know, two thirds of having a good sense of humor is being able to receive something yes. and, and laugh at something. Yes. And if it's organically funny and, and you don't laugh, I always go, huh, what's with that person? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and only one third is saying something that's funny. So when people say, well, I don't have a very good sense of humor, I always disagree with them. I say, yeah, you laugh all the time. Right. You're always laughing. Precisely. That's a good sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And in grief, when I talk about grieving with humor, what I'm really talking about is remembering the person with humor, mm-hmm. remembering how you played together, how they brought a smile to your face, how they brought joy to your life, how um, you teased each other or um, how you would each notice something funny and just have that knowing look or, I mean, there there's so many ways to remember somebody with good humor and you know, if I'm focusing on how Scott and I argued or fought, I feel farther away from him. Just like when I focus on how I've sinned against God, I feel farther away. But when I focus on my salvation and how I have been redeemed, I feel closer to God. If I focus on how Scott and I laughed and played and brought joy to each other's lives and um, the beauty in that relationship, and I focus on that good humor, I feel closer to him. And that is one way that we create that enduring relationship with the deceased is mm-hmm. by remembering them with good humor. Talk about when God gives you more than you can handle. <laughs> There's no scripture that actually supports that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will not tempt us beyond our ability to resist it. Um, but uh, Paul actually writes, uh, and I don't remember where it is, but he writes that they felt pushed beyond their ability to endure. And, uh, I've, I can relate. Mm-hmm. I can so relate to that. Um, and yet it is in those moments, it is in those pleas of helplessness to God that he is so tangibly present uh, and steps in and um, redeems us. Mm-hmm. Melissa, is there a, a, a sacredness to pain that we need to remember? You You say more about that. Well, when you go through an experience... And it's painful and it's difficult. And you look back on your life, it seems that the times when you were whining the loudest, <laughs> crying the hardest, yes. turns out to be, in fact, some of the most pivotal times in your life. Absolutely. Where the grace of God poured into your life in ways that you n- never could have anticipated right. or imagined. We are rarely transformed in the moments of ease and contentment and satisfaction. We right. are transformed in those moments of deep and profound pain. So there's sacredness to those moments, but it's hard to say to someone who's in intense grief, this is sacred times. You can say that, but uh, but please don't give them platitudes, cliches, no. or uh, or tell them that this pain was the will of God. No. Even though it might be ultimately true, I'm not ready to hear it no. when I'm standing by no. the casket. I buy into this, show up and shut up. Yes, I do too. Because I think that's really helpful uh, to try not say anything that mm-hmm. you're going to wish you could take back. Right. Because I've done that myself and I've written handwritten notes to friends saying, in retrospect, I want to try to take back what I said. And yeah. I know that you 
trust that my intentions were sincere, but I still feel like an idiot for what I said. <laughs> I've done that. I respect that you did that. I respect that you caught yourself and apologized. That's fantastic. Well, when you talk about cliches, you know, that's sometimes that we show up and that's what is the most comfortable thing is to pull a cliche off we, the table and We just want to make them feel it. better. And we're really trying hard to make them feel better, but it doesn't. But don't you show up when you start the grieving process with someone and you want to say something meaningful, something uplifting, something that is going to help move the needle a little bit in their grieving process? You want to, but I think sometimes saying, I have no words, let me take your kids to the park. No, I think it's it's really valuable to say, I don't don't have anything. I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Let me mow your lawn. Yeah. Let me, let me, uh. Break your leaves for you. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when you're approaching someone uh, who's suffering grief and it's something that's been traumatic or dramatic in terms mm-hmm. of uh, a death or a sudden death or an accident that was gruesome versus, you know, 92-year-old father that died, um, we obviously have to look at that differently and approach differently. Yes. And who has the skill to do that? Um, well, I think we all do. I think there, what you're talking about is sometimes um, traumatic grief or, yeah. or a stigmatized grief where we can't really talk about, you know, somebody has died by suicide. How do we talk about that? Or a drug overdose. If you care about that person, you step into that circle and say, I want to hear about it and I will not pass on, I will not pass judgment and I will not share your story. This is your story to tell, but I want to be here and listen. Mm -hmm. Do you think sometimes people are letting you know when they will publish an obituary and say, uh, so-and-so took their life and their, their battle with depression ended and they sadly took their own life. Are Mm -hmm. they basically saying, no, we can talk about it. Yes. Yeah. I admire that ability to, to say publicly because what they are doing is they're reducing the stigma of mental illness. They are reducing the stigma of suicide and they are creating a dialogue, not just for themselves, but for other people who've suffered similar losses. Yeah. And that's really important, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. To come alongside and just be as as open as you can and and help your brokenness connect to other people's brokenness. Isn't that kind of what we're doing? When I talk about connection, that is really what I'm talking about is that ability to connect with other people in their pain. You know, it's hard to connect with somebody who's just won the lottery and their life is, you know, going super well. We connect with the people who are broken because it's in that brokenness that we understand. Yeah. So the whole grieving thing is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Right. And how often. Yes. And how well equipped we are. Reach. Yeah. Is there a couple of steps we can take just to keep ourselves nice and conditioned and in better shape to deal with the inevitable losses that are coming? Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at studies of resilience, it's important to have zest, optimism, and hope. And I think that that prepares us well for, the, for being buffeted by the waves of grief and suffering and other onslaughts of difficulty is having hope and optimism and zest for this life that we have. Mm-hmm. And tell me how long Scott's been gone? Two years, September 1st. September 1st? Yes, was the anniversary, two-year anniversary. And how are you doing? I am doing well. The second year was way harder than the first. Really? Yes. Uh Yeah. And tell me why. You're prepared for the anniversaries. You're prepared for the uh, being ambushed by grief. And everybody is just, you know, rallying for you Mm -hmm. that first year. And then after the first year, they kind of brush their hands, you know, and walk away. And um, you're kind of left wondering, now what? And who am I? And where do we go from here? 
and um, who do I talk to? They're all gone. Um, and then also the anniversaries are different. They're, and it's the other things like uh, realizing you will never have another photograph taken with him or um, just, you know, first day of school and me being the only one to take the photograph because mm-hmm. he's not there. So uh, it's just different. It was Lots just of reminders, aren't there? A lot of reminders. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you, do you uh, feel that pit in your stomach when you think of those or do you have a little smile like, oh, he would be pointing the camera and <laughs> the, not getting the picture right? Both. The pit is there, but also the, the joy and remembrance of, man, he was lousy at taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, I'm sure, important. <laughs> Melissa, thank you for your work and thank you for the book, uh, Navigating Grief with Humor. Um, Dr. Melissa Mork has been my guest. You're a d- total delight. So thank you for sharing you. Uh, your book and your stories and, and this uh, course that you're teaching right now will be available again, won't it? Absolutely. How would I sign up for that when it becomes available? What should I do? What should I look for? Listen to Faith Radio because it's advertised on Faith Radio and uh, sister stations. All so right. Listen. I can sign up for that plan. Listen to Faith Radio, she said. All right. Especially hmm. from three to five. That's the yes, time you should really, really listen to. Anyway, that wraps up our show. Thank you uh, for listening and supporting Faith Radio. It's been a delight spending this time with you. I hope you have a great evening. Be well. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.